Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'm getting ready to tell a story. Um, it's going to be story time with Matt again. Um, but if you have your Bibles, as I'm telling this story, you know where we're going. Anybody have any guesses? Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount, so you can be turning there. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking about um, how to deal with salty people. Um, and I kind of wanted to share with you a story about when I was, I think I was in sixth grade. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest, I was kind of a turd when I was in sixth grade. Um, my dad was uh, one of the pastors here, still is. Um, so I spent a lot of time here. And as a pastor's kid, you kind of learn how to pass the time. And I enjoyed kind of getting, uh, getting under people's skin, annoying people. Um, any, any else kind of like that? Like you've made it an art of making people's heads explode. Well, um, I started doing this thing where I had these walkie-talkies. You know, guys, walkie-talkies. You find all kinds of stuff to do with walkie-talkies. And I decided, if you've been to, if you've been to our main building, there's like the, the top exit where like, you know, you come out and you can look down on everybody. And there were a bunch of bushes. So I put one of the walkie-talkies, I turned out and put it in the bushes. And I stood up there at the top and I was talking and talking at people as they were coming into church. So it was funny. I mean, I, was, I wasn't being mean. I was just saying like, you know, good morning. You're looking beautiful this morning and all this stuff. Well, there's this one guy um, who, he wasn't a very kind man. Um, I guess I can tell you the story because he doesn't come to our church anymore because he didn't fit in because he was a turd um, like me. Anyway, um, so as he was going in, he had this mustache. And, um, and yeah, I, I said something to the effect of you got a little fur baby sitting under your nose there, Brad. And he looks around and he saw me, he noticed me. And he ran, I mean, this is a grown man, ran up the steps, grabbed my, um, grabbed my walkie-talkie. Then he ran down and grabbed the walkie-talkie out of the bushes, and he locked it in his car. He's like, you're not getting your walkie-talkies back. I was a little upset about that. Like, like my dad called him and everything. He's like, listen, Matt gets a lot of hand, like, sorry. And the guy, like, you know, wore out my dad, too. And like, if you're mad at Nathan McClay, if y'all want to know my dad, like, you got problems. Um, and um, so I decided, well... He's not going to get away with this. So I started, every time he pulled in the church parking lot, I'd wait for him to get out of his car. He'd go into church. I realized he didn't lock his car. So I started taking things from his car <laughs> and hiding them in the bushes. And I also found out the guy dipped. So I started stealing his dip. So I don't know if I should be talking about this. And, and, and he, 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 I'm sure it burned him up that stuff was missing from his car, but he never found out I did it. It was my little way of getting back. I say that to say a lot of times we feel like when somebody does us wrong, we're entitled to like retribution. Like there are entire songs written about retribution. Like we love Carrie Underwood, you know, and everything. And so apparently she's a Christian, but like a Christian probably shouldn't dig her keys into the side of her ex-boyfriend's pretty little four-wheel drive. She shouldn't carve his name into his leather seats. Shouldn't take a Louisville slugger to both headlights and slash a hole in all four tires. Like... But we feel like we're entitled to retribution. So tonight, we're going to talk about salty people. And one of the... I asked Hunter if this was an appropriate meme, and he said it was, so I'm just going to you know, go with that. I got the Hunter seal of approval. Um, but who is, the salt, who is the mean person in your life? Who is the person, when I said we're going to talk about mean people tonight, when in tag we said we're going to talk about mean people, something came, someone came to your mind. 
I want you to be thinking about that person as we go through. Why do people have to be so salty? Why do people have to be so mean? Didn't somebody sing a song about that? One of our 21st century philosophers sang a, yeah, penned a song essentially that said something effective, why you gotta be so mean, right? Um, so why, why do people have to be so mean? And the second question is why do we feel like when people are mean, we have to fix the problem? We have to get them back in the same measure that they got us. Tonight we're going to be talking about that little phrase that Jesus used that he's, what is probably, I'd say, in the top 10 of his most famous sayings. And it's the saying, turn the other cheek. We determined in the high school guys group that eventually you run out of cheeks. But what does it mean to turn the other cheek? We're going to be talking about that tonight and how to deal with salty people. Before I, we go any further, I, I want to give you some disclaimers. You know how like the, yeah, if you're getting ready to do something dangerous, like the, they go over all the, like the disclaimers, like, you know, don't stick your arms out of a moving vehicle, whatever. Here's some disclaimers. When Jesus talks about turning the other cheek, he's not talking about taking physical abuse. Maybe you're in a situation or you've been in a situation where you've been a victim of physical abuse. I want you to know that this passage that we're talking about tonight does not mean you need to stay in an abusive situation. The next warning is that this doesn't mean that we shouldn't report and allow the proper authorities to make wrongs right and establish justice. That's why God gave government as imperfect, <laughs> as imperfect, right, as it is. The third one is we should not, um, th this doesn't allow us um, to enable the self-destructive behaviors of people. There are times where people have to be corrected because they're on a self-destructive path. But after all that, the bottom line what we're gonna see tonight as we get in Matthew chapter five is that we're supposed to be salt and light to salty people. If you remember a few weeks ago, we, we were in the beginning part of Matthew chapter five and Jesus told us we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be preservative. Uh, we're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. So we're supposed to be salt, not salty, but the question is what happens when people are salty to us? This is what Jesus calls us to do. So now that we've set all that up, Let's go to Matthew chapter five and let's read through. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 38. This is Jesus talking. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So we're gonna stop there and instead of reading all the verses together, we're gonna read and make a little observation and read and make a little observation. And what I think you're gonna realize is this hits home pretty quickly. And the way that maybe we would organize these, uh, organize these thoughts when we're uh, dealing with salty people is that the first, um, the, the, the first set of verses, verses 38 through 42, talk about um, you know, what not to do when you encounter a mean person, a salty person. And the second set of verses, verses 43 through 48, talk about what you should do when you encounter a salty person. And what we see, the first thing that we should not do, the do's and don'ts of salty people, is that we're not supposed to retaliate. Most of us, when people do us dirty, when people do us wrong, when people give it, you, some girl, you, you, you girls don't even have to like have, be done dirty. Like you can give each other these like mean looks that communicate like volumes, like, like textbooks worth of emotions and things. But when somebody does this wrong, the first thing I want to do, man, I want to get on the top of that turnbuckle and I just want to be like, boom. That's just me. That's my flesh. That's probably your flesh. Well, what does Jesus say? Let's go back to the verses here. He says, you've heard that it was said, 
Remember what Jesus was doing? He was talking about how he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And they were right. It was said in the Bible that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, meaning if somebody did something to someone, they had to pay back in the same measure as what was done to them. But what was starting to happen was these, these, these uh, teachers of the law and the people, they said, well, since somebody took something from me, kind of like what I was doing, I'm allowed to take something from them. The original purpose of this law was meant to limit retribution. I don't know if you've ever seen, I'm a, I'm a big Disney movie guy. You ever seen the movie Aladdin? It's an old one, but yeah, Aladdin. Remember when Jack... I don't know why I'm getting into this now. I love Disney. You remember when Jasmine, she, she sneaks out of the palace and she takes the fruit from the vendor and he says, you better be able to pay for that. You know, no one steals from my car. Do you know what the penalty is for stealing? What does he do? He whips out a sword. What's he getting ready to do? Cut her hand off. And that was what happened a lot of, very often in the Middle East is that if you stole something, they would cut your hand off because they'd say, well, if you steal with your hand, cut your hand off, you won't be able to steal anymore. That's a little above and beyond the cost of an apple, right? <laughs> That's a little extreme. And what this law was meant to do was to limit extreme amounts of retribution, of payback. But what they did was they said, I'm entitled to payback. I'm entitled to get back at people. So Jesus says, but I say to you, Jesus is fulfilling the law here. This is a tough one. Do not resist the one who is evil. Don't get back at him. Don't push back. Man, I was uh, at Midland on Tuesday and I just missed a girl fight. And from what I was told, after the fight was over, there was a pile of hair in the floor. Usually when we uh, have somebody do something wrong to us, we want to get a fistful of hair back. But Jesus says, don't resist the one who's evil. This goes against what we see everywhere we go. So what does Jesus say? How exactly do we do this? Well, here's the famous one, right? He says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I believe this has been misunderstood quite often. When we get the idea of slapping across a cheek, who, who wants to be slapped tonight? Nobody wants. Gabe, come on up here. So I'm not actually going to slap Gabe. Come on up here. So when we think about slapping, we think about right? We think about you knocking someone out. We think about those fight videos we watch on TikTok. But do you notice it says slap on the right cheek? Did you know everybody in the Middle East back then, it was considered to be evil to be left-handed? Any lefties in here tonight? Raise your left hand. So what they would do, even with children, sometimes they would tie their children's hands behind them and force them to use the right hand. So everybody back then was right-handed. So if I have a right hand and I want to slap Gabe on the right cheek, how would I do that? Would I be like, do some kind of ninja thing? That would be like this, wouldn't it? It was an insult. It was not an assault. 
it was considered an insult because the Jewish culture, in all the Middle Eastern culture at the time, was very uh, face-oriented. It was very touch. I'm not going to do this to you, Gabe, I promise. But the greeting that they would give each other was they would take each other by the face and they would kiss each other on both sides of the cheek. I'm not going to have you do that to your neighbor. Some of you are already getting ready to. Um, so that was considered a greeting. An insult would be to do that, the backhand, the flick of the wrist. Thank you, Gabe. You, you are willing for anything. I appreciate it. So what, what he's saying is if someone insults you, don't insult back, but give them an opportunity to make it right. Give them another opportunity to interact with you. And then he says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, anybody know what a tunic is? See, all the girls know, because girls have the craziest kinds of clothes ever. Like, like, there are tunics, there are bloomers, there are, I mean, all kinds of things that I would never know what they are, and I could never fold, and I would never know how to wash them. But back then, Middle Eastern men would wear, um, they, they would wear two kind of articles of clothing often. They, they would take the, t- uh, they would wear a tunic, and then they would wear a clo- cloak. The tunic was actually kind of like a bloomer. Some, the guys are lost, okay. But a tunic was kind of like, it was like a close-fitting inner garment. And the cloak was the outer garment. And the cloak was what protected people from the elements of that Middle East where it would get really windy in the, during the day and really cold at night. The law in the Old Testament, God instructed people not to take other people's cloaks because it was that important to them. So Jesus says if someone would sue you, and take your tunic, if someone would, 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 would kind of manipulate the law to get something from you, he says, give him your cloak as well. Then he says, if so, anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. I mean, for some of you, cross-country track is no problem for you. But what this meant, what was happening at the time, was the Jewish people were under Roman occupation. We don't know what it's like to be occupied by another country. So just a matter, just imagine if somehow, you know, if somehow Canada just all of a sudden beefed up. It's hard to imagine, you know, Justin Bieber country. Beefed up and they took over the United States and they were our oppressors. The Roman soldiers in the Middle East in, in Palestine would make Jewish people, it was the law that if a Roman soldier had all his armor and all his equipment, this big heavy backpack and all this stuff, if he didn't want to carry it, he could just say, hey Christian, I need you to come, you don't really have to, I need you to, I need you to come with me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want you to carry my spear, I want you to carry my backpack, I want you to carry my shield and all my armor and I want you to carry it for, two mi- for, for a mile and you were obligated to do it. Imagine if you had like a, a day plan and then all of a sudden this, this Roman soldier comes and says, you gotta carry my stuff for a mile. How much would you hate that person? Like forcing you to do something like, it's kind of like the way teachers assign homework to you. But that's a whole other story. What he says is don't just go the mile, go two miles. I wouldn't want to do that. Then he says give to the one who begs from you. When people beg me to do something, it makes me not want to do it. Anybody else like that? It's like, it makes me not want to do it. He says, give to the one who begs you and don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. Essentially, the main point is, when someone does you dirty, don't retaliate. That's tough. So that's the don't. Here's the do of salty people. Do love. Look what Jesus says. He, he, he goes back to the Old Testament law again and he says, you've heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Here's a problem. 
These people have taken God's law and they've added something to it and they've subtracted something to it. Originally in Leviticus 19, what God says is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You may have heard that because Jesus repeated it in Matthew chapter 22. And what these people did, because they didn't want to love their neighbor as their self because who loves you more than you, right? Like, is what they, is they kind of, they, we'll just kind of take the love your neighbor as yourself. We'll take the as yourself out and just say you love your neighbor. And then we really don't like the people around us. So let's make it love your neighbor and hate your enemy. See what they did? They deleted something and they added something. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, what I tell you, this is gonna be the hardest probably of all. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Don't raise your hand because I don't know if I could raise my hand either. How many of you can honestly say that the people that have done you dirty, the salty people in your life, you have committed to loving them and committed to praying for them? I don't think I can raise my hand. This is convicting to me. So the do's and don'ts of salty people, don't retaliate, but love them and pray for them. That's what Jesus is saying. It's easy to read it. When I was reading through it, I thought, well, maybe like if I studied in the Greek, if I read a bunch of smart people, maybe Jesus didn't actually mean what I think he means here. Maybe he like he lets us off the hook and it's like, if the person's a Democrat, we don't have to love them. Like, if, he, if, they, if they voted for Trump, we don't have to love them. Like, if there's some kind of thing that they did that crossed a line, we don't have to love them. You know what, I, as, as I looked into the, you know, the original languages and I, I looked into what, what Jesus was saying, you know what it, he's actually saying? You have to love them. Even if they're the biggest jerks in the world. Even if they listen to Nickelback. You have to love them. So it's easy to understand, but the question is why? You know, y'all are the why generation. Your parents tell you to do something, you're like, why? Your teachers tell you, you need to do this in some way, why? You need to take the ACT. Why in the world would I subject myself to the ACT? Jesus gives us a why. Why we should not retaliate, why we should love salty people. There are three reasons to love salty people. The first reason is that there's a standard to satisfy. You know what we're reminded here? is that Jesus says that this is not an option. Sometimes as Christians, who likes Froyo? Going to those Froyo places? You know, and, and like, you just load it up. Like, sometimes I have like maybe half Froyo in my cup and half toppings. Like, I put the little gummy bears on it. I put the, uh, the, the, uh, the Oreo crumbles. I put like every syrup imaginable on it. Little whipped cream. Like, I like a little bit of ice cream with my toppings. I don't know if, a little bit of yogurt. I don't know if any of y'all are like that. Sometimes we treat the commands of Jesus like a Froyo bar. And we say, well, yeah, I'll take a little bit of the love your neighbor. Uh, I'll, I'll take a little bit of the don't lust because that's weird and that's dirty. You know, I'll take that. You know, I'll take a little bit of the whole don't be afraid because I don't want to be afraid. You know, I'll take what Jesus says about anxiety because I have a lot of trouble with anxiety. But uh, the whole like pray for your enemies and love your enemies, I think I'll pass. I don't think I have any more room in my Jesus Froyo cup. For love your enemies. We treat it almost like a, like, like a froyo bar. Or we treat it like a golden corral. Rest in peace. Uh, we treat it like some kind of buffet bar. Where we get to pick and choose which commands of Jesus we get to obey. 
But do you realize here that in the same sermon that Jesus preached, it tells us how to deal with anxiety. We're gonna be talking about that in a few weeks. In the same sermon that Jesus preached, it tells us how to deal with lust. In the same sermon that Jesus preached, it tells us how to pray in a way that God hears and responds to us. We don't get to just pick and choose the commands of Jesus that we decide to obey because we're supposed to be different. Jesus said in this chapter, chapter five, verse 16, he said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus is reminding this audience of Israelites and he is reminding us that because we're God's people, we should be different. You know what, what, what Jesus gets at here? Read in, verse, uh, read in verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And he says, if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You know what Jesus is saying? He said, oh, you love people who love you back? Yeah, yeah the whole like, the, the sarcastic clap is like, it's like, oh, that's great. You want a cookie? Like everybody does that. Even people who don't believe in God loves that. Even atheists love people who love them back. What's supposed to be different about us because we're the people of God is that we love people who don't love us back. That's part of God's standard. And aren't we attracted towards those people? Think about the people in your life who you can just be an, I feel like I've said the word turd a million times, but don't you just love the people in your life that you can be an absolute turd to and they still love you? I mean, those are your ride or dies. Those are your biffles. Those are the people that you would never cut out of your life. That's what God is calling us to be to a lost and dying world. There's something attractive about people who love those who don't love them back. There's a standard to satisfy, but there's a savior to simulate. How many of y'all, maybe you don't do this, maybe it's not a thing with your dad, but like there's somebody that you, you just wanna be like. You, know, you just wanna be like this person. Maybe it's somebody like that you look up to in media or something. Like you, you buy the same clothes they have. You wear the, same, you wear the same clothes they have. You do all the things they do. We're supposed to do that with Jesus. Look at what it says. It says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you might be sons of your father who is in heaven. We're called to be like God. We're called to be made into the, we're, we're made in God's image. We're called to be made in the image of Christ. And what's so incredible What's so incredible here is the way that Jesus led the way here. We're getting ready to go into Passion Week. I'm so excited about Thursday when we get to spend a whole hour thinking about what Jesus did for us. But you know how Jesus satisfies every single one of these things that he told us to do with salty people? Think about it. We're told by Jesus to turn the other cheek. Jesus was mocked, insulted, and beaten. could have sent a thousand angels to destroy these idiots, but he didn't. When Jesus was led to the cross, he was stripped naked and the guards gambled away his clothing. When Jesus said, let him have your cloak, he meant it. Jesus told us that if a Roman soldier would make us carry all his stuff for a mile, we should go two miles. On his way to Calvary, Jesus was compelled by Roman soldiers to carry the very cross that he would be crucified on, and he did it. 
Jesus told us to give to the one who asks and there he, was, he was, had two thieves, one on each side and both of them were hurling insults at him and then all of a sudden the thief on the one side had a change of heart and he said, remember me when you go into your kingdom and Jesus said, you're saved. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus said, love and pray for your enemies and as he was on the cross gasping for breath, bleeding, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you see how Jesus led the way here? Do you see how this is the nature of God? Here's the question though. Here's the question. If this is the nature of God and we think we're following God, what does it say about us if we're not willing to love others? So there's a savior to simulate, but there's also a soul to save. I love this here. Jesus is calling us to live in a way that prioritizes the eternal souls of people. You ever ask yourself, why are salty people salty? Most of them is because they have a hurt in their life. Most of them is because they're disconnected from God. Salty people are salty because they don't know Jesus. The way that we respond when they say hurtful things to us, points them to Jesus. Wanted to end tonight, we got a couple C words after this. I wanted to end tonight kind of like the observations by sharing a story with you, and this is not my story. Um, This is a story that happened about 70 to 80 years ago. It's the story of a man named Steve Saint. His father's name was Nate Saint. He was one of four men in their 20s, not much older than y'all, in the 1950s who decided that it wasn't good and it wasn't acceptable but there was a remote tribe in Brazil that had never heard the name of Jesus. These men started flying over this remote tribe. They didn't speak, they spoke their own dialect. They had to learn the language and they started dropping care packages to try to win these people over because the problem was the reason that nobody had ever told these people about Jesus was that every person who tried to go to the island that was off the Amazon River, the beach there where the village was, every single person who had tried to go to that island had been killed, had been speared to death. So these four men started praying that God would allow them to share the gospel with these people and they started dropping packages to try to win favor and and to build a relationship with these people and then it was time for them to go to the island themselves. They went to the island in a boat and as they were getting off, of, coming out of the river and onto the beach, this native tribe came with their spears and they speared those four men to death. These men had wives and they had kids that were living elsewhere in the country. When they heard the news about what had happened, they went back to the United States, except for a few. Nate Saint's aunt stayed behind. The widow of one of the other men, Jim Elliott, Elizabeth Elliott, stayed behind. And months after her husband was speared to death and months after her brother was speared to death, these two ladies went back to that island. They ended up winning the entire village to Jesus. But what about this boy who was three years old and his father was speared to death because he was sharing the gospel? The men all had guns with them. They refused to use their guns because they wanted to imitate what Jesus did on the cross 
and communicate the gospel. I wanna show you a video of Nate saying, he's old now, but he explains the incredible thing that happened through the whole situation and how it affected him. So Drew, go ahead and play that video. That out of this apparent tragedy is coming a wonderful note of victory. To try to evaluate what these men have done in human terms is indeed difficult. To think of this martyrdom of five valiant men on a material basis is indeed absurd. It is on the high spiritual elevation of love of Christ and of his gospel more than the love of self. To most people, the death of my dad, my hero, would seem to be a tragic end to the story. But God was only just beginning to write a story that would display boldness, sacrifice, and gospel transformation. The sacrifice and efforts of these five men laid a foundation which allowed Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, and my Aunt Rachel to live with the tribe. Through their work, a number of the tribe began to walk God's trail, leaving behind their violent ways and celebrating their new life following Wangungi's trail. The tribe became family, and Minkai, one of the men who speared my dad, adopted me as one of his own. Years later, two of the other men whose spears killed my dad baptized me in the same river where he died. Only God could write this story of relentless love and redemption. Isn't that amazing to think about? That this boy at the time was adopted by one of the men who killed his own dad and then later was baptized in the same river that his dad died by two of the men who killed his father. He goes on to say, it's a longer video, but he, he goes on to say he didn't actually get adopted by the man who killed his father. He wasn't actually baptized by the men who killed his father because those men are no longer alive because they died in Christ and they rose new men. They were given new life through salvation. But what an incredible, incredible story. You know, there's a quote um, that as I was going through, I was kind of reading in preparation, and I believe this is a, this really sums up this story and what God has called us to do. It says this, Jesus understood that we will have enemies, yet we're supposed to respond to them in love, trusting that God will protect our cause and destroy our enemies in the best way possible by transforming them into our friends. Did you catch the end of that? That God will destroy our enemies in the best way possible by turning them into friends. So remember as I was beginning, I asked you, who is that person that came to mind when you heard we were talking about mean people? You're called to be salt and light. To those people. So how do we do it? I got four minutes left and I got four C words. So one C word a minute. I'll get to F words next time maybe. First C word is combat. Hey, we think about like enemies. First thing we think sometimes is combat, but this is a different kind of combat. We, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain this. Maybe you try to track with you. We need to com combat the gravitational pull to try to qualify our responsibility of loving mean people. Have you ever taken like something and put it, put it in a bucket? 
And like if I, if I got a bucket and I filled it with water and I started going like this with the bucket, what would happen? The water would stay in the bucket. What are all, the, all you physics nerds? You know, you, you know why that is, right? It's, called, it's a C word, right? Centrifugal force. It's been a little while since I've been in a physics class, but I remember that. It's the centrifugal force that keeps that water. You know, there is a centrifugal force. There's a gravitational pull in our hearts and in our lives to try to rationalize away what God tells us to do. We're supposed to love mean people, but a lot of times we think, well, surely God doesn't mean we need to love that kind of mean people. Surely God doesn't mean that we have to love these people who live a different kind of lifestyle um, than we've ever been accustomed to. Surely we don't have to love Huntington people. Surely we don't have to love Midland people. Like, surely we don't have to love Ohio people. You ever seen those guys drive? Yeah, we, those are some funny examples, but the serious thing is, it's a gravitational pull. Unless we keep renewing our minds and refreshing our minds in this area, we're always gonna act like, well, God meant it for that person, but he didn't mean it for this person. We're supposed to love our enemies, period. And when I say period, it's like with a T on the end of it. You know what I mean? Like, period. We're supposed to love our enemies, period. So we need to combat that thought that keeps entering our minds. Second is we need to create. Maybe you've heard of people creating a list of enemies before and you know, sometimes that brings to mind some scary thoughts. Um, sometimes, yeah, I've heard of people developing hate lists. What if you created a prayer list of enemies? And what if you start praying like this? God, will you please destroy these enemies by making them my friends? Something's gonna start happening. First, I believe God's gonna st start working in the heart of your enemy. God's gonna start working in the heart of that salty people, that salty person, because we don't have time to get into it, and I couldn't fully explain it, but there's something incredible about prayer that almost wrecks sometimes your theology, because what I've learned is the more I pray, the more I see God working. The more I pray, the more I see God working in people's hearts. The more I pray, the more people I see getting saved. The more I pray, the more I see God working. So when you start praying for that person, God works in their heart, but something else happens. When you start praying that God will turn your enemies into your friends, that God will destroy your enemies by making them your friends, he starts changing your heart too. And he starts making you aware of those opportunities that you can win those people over. The next C word is come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. You know, Jesus said here, you have to be perfect just as your father is perfect. What he's saying is there's no way you can do this without me. You can't be perfect in this, but you can be forgiven. And what's so incredible, you know, we talk about how hurt people hurt people. The flip side of that is forgiven people forgive people. When we come to a place in our life where we realize that we need Jesus and we need his help to do this, we start experiencing the power of God to do it. The final one, community. If someone's hurting you, find community. Find help in the community of Jesus. I, I say that for two reasons. The first reason is maybe you are, yeah, I talked about it at the beginning, maybe you are in a situation where somebody is physically hurting you. You're in a dangerous situation and you don't know what to do about it. Please talk to one of our leaders. Please find comfort in this community and we will, we will help you take the next step forward in finding a place where you could be safe. But the second side of that is, Sometimes we're just dealing with people that are just so mean all the time. You walk the halls of school, you go to your practices, 
You go where you work, and it's just like, not just negativity, but it's just, it seems like it's just hatefulness all around you. One of the reasons we have refuel on a Wednesday in the middle of the week is because we have to come together and we have to remember that there are people in this world who aren't full of hate and that we band together and we encourage each other to be salt and light to salty people. That's why God gave us Christian community. That's why God gave us our brothers and sisters in Christ and he gave us the body of Christ. He gave us community. So we're gonna finish up with a time of prayer. It's not gonna be one of those super manipulative spiritual times of prayer. It's just gonna be dead silence for a minute. And what I want you to do is I wanna give you an opportunity to obey Jesus right now. We've talked for 30 minutes, not quite 30 minutes. We've talked for a while about how Jesus says to pray for your enemies. But change happens when we stop talking about it and we start doing it. So bow your heads, close your eyes. Maybe figuratively just to help you to, help you to, be, uh, you know, to be present with God right now. Maybe just you draw, in your mind, draw a circle around yourself and put everything, everyone else out of that circle and it's just you and God. What was the name that came to your mind? That mean person. That person who did you wrong. I'm gonna give you a minute to pray for that person right now. Ask God to destroy your enemy by making them your friend. Dear God, I think it'd be impossible for us to even consider, to even attempt doing this if we didn't have the example of Jesus. God, we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we remember that he was hit and he didn't hit back. And he was cursed and he didn't curse back. And he was laughed at and he didn't laugh or mock back. That even when he was nailed to a cross, he prayed for the people who were nailing him to a cross. God, I know there are people here tonight that have been hurt and hurt in some very deep ways. And God, it doesn't mean that the hurt doesn't hurt any less. It doesn't mean that the wrong that happened was any less wrong. But God, here in your word, you've given us a way forward. You've given us a way to new life and a way to victory and a way to obedience to you. So God, I pray for each person here who has a person in their mind that they just prayed for and it may have been one of the hardest prayers they ever prayed. God, I pray that you'll give them the power to continue to live in obedience to your word, to continue to do what you've commanded us to do, to love our enemies and to pray that you destroy our enemies by turning them into our friends. And I pray that when people look at us, when they see Refuel, and they see our student ministry, and they see our students and our leaders, they will see people who are different. They'll see people who love those who love them, but they'll also see people who love those who don't love them. And that we will be salt and light, that they will see our good works and glorify you. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.